You are Locked On Hawkeyes, your daily podcast on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, Hawkeye Nation, to another episode of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast, your daily podcast covering your Iowa Hawkeyes on the Locked On Sports Network. As always, I am your host, Andrew Wade, and today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. And as we do every single week, we got former Iowa wide receiver Matt Vandenberg on the show to break down the win over Illinois. Again, fantastic content all around. Always love having Matt on. So without further ado, let's hop into the conversation with Matt as we break down the win over the Fighting Illini. All right, y'all, we are back with Matt Vandenberg for another Monday morning recap with Matt. Obviously, those are probably posting on Sunday evening, but either way, Matt, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good. Anytime Hawks win, it's a good day. Yeah, man, we are at five in a row. Uh, after the first two games of the season, I was like, man, this could be a long season, but I think Iowa clearly has turned it around, and now folks are no longer saying, oh, man, those two games were terrible. It's more of like, what if we would have won those two games? It's Now we're playing the what-if game. It was like, can we just win a game? Now it's what if we had won those two games that we should have won regardless should have, could have, would have can't go back. There's still a lot on the table. You win the next game you face up against maybe a ranked Indiana, not a, maybe definitely a ranked Indiana team. And you have a shot of maybe being top 10, maybe going to a big time bowl, regardless of how you started the season pretty terribly. Let's get into the game though. Iowa took care of business after a, a very terrible uh, first quarter to be fair. I mean, it was, it was ugly. Um, so let's maybe start there. We're going to get into Spencer Petrus, which is definitely going to be the hot topic of today. Um, I know you were busy, but Twitter was going absolutely wild. Everyone and their mother wanted to bench Spencer Petrus. I saw a lot of um, prominent media people wanting to bench Spencer Petrus. I felt like I was the only one, maybe not actually as upset as Spencer Petrus, but <laughs> let's maybe walk through the first couple of drives, especially on the, the defensive side for Iowa. I felt like they had a solid game plan. Illinois just got a few really nice chunk plays. That first drive, that that wheel route, Seth Benson had amazing coverage on that. He gets his, hand, his head around, and he stops that. Is that something you noticed as well? I mean, I felt like Illinois wasn't – it wasn't Illinois doing better than Iowa. They were just making perfect plays. Iowa was right in the right position. And, and talk about those two catches against uh, Riley Moss. I mean, not much we can do about that, right? Yeah, especially the touchdown uh, Amarta Baby uh, had because Riley played through his hands. He's swiping down. He's doing everything he's coached to do. Um, sometimes the guy just makes a play. I mean, like we always talk about, that's football. Uh, KF brings it up all the time. That's football. Uh, Seth Benson, again, playing through his hands, trying to swipe down. Uh, the other guy just makes a play. I mean, at the end of the day, those guys are scholarship players too. Those are Division One athletes on the other side of the field, and that's what makes every game so tough. That's what makes every game uh, one that – uh, this is the most important game because again, these, these guys are athletes. They're not just going to put a bunch of scrubs on the field. That's not what, that's not what big 10 does. Yeah. One of the things I thought was really interesting was that Seth Benson, that wheel route. He looked like he was going to blitz. He saw the running back come out. I, I think people aren't talking enough about the fact that he was even in position to make that play because the running back had a full, I mean, the running back did a little swing came out like a wheel. He had basically a full uh, head of steam going and Seth Benson's, gets to him and then stays with him the entire time throughout the route. Um, maybe was that, was I'm the only one that was impressed by what Seth Benson did there athletically to even uh, get to the running back and then also stay with him the whole time. So this is something that we can see Iowa do a lot of, and you can pick it up from different uh, things that they do with their legs. Um, and this is just with um, really with anything that you see from linebackers, if they're blitzing, 
the, they're not going to have a wide stance because, I mean, then you got to really work to bring your back leg up in order to go, right? Whereas if you have a narrow stance, you can explode and you're out. If you have a wide stance, you're probably coming back. So the fact that he's in a wide stance means he's showing blitz. If the running back does pass pro and he can, he, and the linebacker can confirm he's doing pass protection, then he can go. Otherwise, if he sees him leak just like that, he pushes off, boom, runs with him. Uh, unfortunately, on that one, the running back made a great play. But, I mean, obviously, Seth Benson, young guy, being able to see that, play it correctly. Like I said, sometimes things just happen. Yeah, two things I want to call on that. So, um, first, I think Denver called it a green dog blitz, where I think it's called green dog blitz, where basically you blitz if your person stays in protection. Is that what you called it, Iowa? Uh, yeah, I think offensively we called it something different, but essentially that's what it is. Okay. And then as a quarterback, if you're looking at the linebacker and he does have that wide stance, I didn't even notice that. So I need to go back and, and watch that. But if he does have that wide stance, are you assuming he's dropping back or are you accounting for him with your blocking? Uh, so that's a great question. It's so a you chess can never, game, right? Right. Cause you can never assume you can never assume because who's to say that the next time Seth Benson lines up just to make me look like a jerk. He has a wide stance and then he blitzes, right? I mean, that absolutely could happen. So if anybody goes out there and assumes that that's how they're going to play, then that's how they mess with you. Just like when, um, you know, receivers, if we take an outside route or an outside release every time on an out route, outside release every time, well, then you know when we take an outside release, we're going to go out. So next time we're going to go in so that way you can't game plan for the fact that when I go out, I always go out. So, I mean, you got to assume that that guy's coming, but as if they've done all their research and they know what, what's going on in the backfield and things like that, then they can try and figure out how their protection would slide. But you always have to assume they're coming and then get excited when they don't, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a little chess match there. And then the only other play I wanted to call out was, at least in the two scoring drives for Illinois, was the Brandon Peters run. Coming into this game, that was one of the things I talked about. Brandon Peters burnt Iowa last year. Um, Illinois was not a more talented team than Iowa. Iowa should have probably beat them by more, but Illinois stayed in the game because they were able to convert key third downs. The pass coverage was fantastic. The defensive line got pressure, and Brandon Peters would escape, and he rushed for 70-something yards against Iowa last year. Then they did a design quarterback run, and I thought, oh, my gosh, not again. We're going to be dealing with this again. Uh, he gets 16 yards. It looked like Iowa might have been in cover two man, which would be a little bit difficult for – there's not a spy there necessarily. Everyone's a little bit deep, so it's a little bit harder to get that. But after that, I felt like they locked Brandon Peters up pretty darn well. He only finished with 17 yards rushing, which I'm pretty sure 90% of that came on that one run to extend the, you know, extend the drive. What are your thoughts on that, or did you see the same thing I was seeing? Yeah, I mean, anything with that kind of stuff with the running quarterback, it all comes down to being able to contain and being able to know that your defensive ends don't want to scream all the way up the field because then allows for an area between your nose guard or your nose tackle, depending upon your verbiage and your end. And that leaves a hole where the quarterback can leak out. So if everybody understands like, hey, we need to keep this guy in the pocket or if we, uh, you know, if we rush a certain way, we can mitigate these chances. And not only that, but a lot of times if there's a backer that's holding the, the like you just talked about, the green dog blitz, well, maybe he green dog spies, you know, his guy's blocking. So, okay, well, now I'm free to watch the quarterback and being able to know where he goes. So you can have a lot of different responsibilities for different guys. But I, I, I do agree with you because I remember watching last year and thinking, dang, this guy's, this guy's running pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so obviously in order to mitigate that, uh, was a big was a big plus for Iowa yeah and so they I mean obviously the defense corrected some of the issues and again I think a lot of what I saw in those first two the first two the three the wow two of the first three drives 
was not necessarily Iowa not playing good defense. It was Illinois making really special plays to extend those things. That wasn't always going to continue to happen. Just like Iowa's offense wasn't going to continue to completely stall out. And that was a pretty bad uh, opening sequence for Iowa. A lot of people have talked about Spencer Petrus was getting a lot of heat. I saw fans all over. I don't think I saw a single fan on Twitter say, keep Spencer in. I even saw media members, uh, you know, tweeting and stuff that he needs to be benched. Out of all games, though, I felt like this really wasn't necessarily on him. When I watched the first three drives, yes, he made two terrible throws. They were not game-impacting throws, per se. They were both to Tyler Goodson, both five feet in front of Tyler Goodson. Bad throws, no doubt about that. But on the other dropbacks, A, Illinois was bringing a lot of pressure and getting pressure on him quickly, so he wasn't able to go through all of his reads. And B, the wide receivers were getting blanketed pretty darn easily. They weren't getting a lot of separation there. Um, I also thought the running game, Illinois was bringing eight in the box the first couple drives and forcing Iowa to throw the ball. And again, if the wide receivers are not getting open and they're getting pressure, uh, it makes it tough to move the ball at all. Um, is there anything else you saw, anything else that you kind of noticed from those first couple of series? That, and also, what are your thoughts on spent – what are your thoughts on Spencer after those first three drives? Were you at the point of we need to bench him or basically we're on the same lines of we need to make other plays and this is a whole offensive issue, not just a Spencer issue. All right, I'll need to quickly pause that conversation with Matt because I do have an important announcement for you. If you're anything like me, you're always on the go. You're either working, working out, hanging out with family, doing odds and ends. You're just constantly on the go, but sometimes you just need to take a second and chill. You just need to take a second and relax. It's the holiday season. There's a ton of games on, so just Sit on the couch, grab yourself an ice-cold Coors Light, and watch that game and relax. And believe me, there is no better beer out there than Coors Light. It's the only beer out there, actually, that's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. And believe me, I live out here in Colorado. I know what crisp and refreshing is like. And it is the same thing as cracking open an ice-cold Coors Light. And the best part now is you can actually get Coors Light delivered directly to your door. So Coors Light is the one that I choose and I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. That's right. I have it delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. And as always, folks, remember to celebrate responsibly. This message is brought to you by Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, y'all, before we get back into the conversation with Matt, just a reminder that we will be back Tuesday morning, not tomorrow. We're dropping this on Sunday evening-ish. We'll be back on Tuesday morning with a crossover episode with Candace Cooper of Locked on Tar Heels, breaking down the Iowa versus North Carolina basketball game that's taking place that evening. Stay tuned for that. It's going to be some great stuff. You're going to really enjoy the preview that we do. Let's hop back into the show, though, with Matt right now. Uh, so I'll encompass a whole lot there. Yeah, that's a big question. Um, but, yeah, so historically, <laughs> Illinois plays a lot of man. They'll play a lot of cover one. And they play a lot of Tampa two, which is um, the difference between cover two and Tampa two is your middle linebacker falls in order to get like a middle third, even okay. though it's a cover two versus underneath in the zone. Um, it's just a way to keep your – if you've got a really athletic linebacker, it works because a lot of ways to beat a cover two is in the middle of the field. And Illinois does. Exactly. So, I mean, that helps with, with that. Um, but as far as like – so, I mean, they're always going to have dudes that can play man because they do it a lot. It's not something that they have to go out of their wheelhouse in order to do. Um, they were bringing a lot of pressure early. I did see that. I saw Spencer go down a few times. Um, so, I mean, that's never good. Um, but it's 
the bench a guy that quickly, I think, is a little bit too harsh, in my opinion. I think if you roll through the half and he hasn't figured it out, I mean, I'm never a fan for benching people in the first place in terms of in-game, um, unless they absolutely deserve it, which I'm sure a lot of the Twitter people say that he did. Um, but the fact that he bounced back the second half and boom, 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 hits a great play to Laporta, hits Bayer on uh, two, well, it's the same play, but different. Uh, we can talk about that later. But like being able to make those types of throws after the kind of start goes to show that like, number one, he's capable. I don't want anybody to say he's not capable. And number two, like he bounced back. Like it was a, it was a tough start. He knew it was a tough start, but for him to stay with it, stay the course and then make some of those bigger throws down the, down the, uh, you know, down the course of the game, I think speaks volumes about where he's at mentally uh, compared to where he was maybe, you know, game one, game two. Yeah. I mean, I honestly thought that might've been his best game I've seen um, the throw to Sean Byer for that touchdown. When you look at that, there was one spot that ball could be where it was catchable at all catchable by Iowa and not, pickable by either of the two Illinois players there was a linebacker underneath a safety over top obviously the the end zone as well and the out of bounds area and there was literally one spot that ball could be placed and it was placed absolutely perfectly and I thought in general he just played really phenomenal after that first quarter I also agree I, I just felt like there's a lot of other things kind of happening with Spencer with the offense and not just Spencer and again to do that against Illinois Lovey Smith is a defensive-minded guy. You talk about the Tampa 2. That was a defense made famous by Tampa Bay in the early 2000s. That I mean, their defense was rock solid. Jake Hansen is a fantastic middle linebacker for Illinois. So not an easy defense necessarily put points on the board against. I know, I know Wisconsin did it early on in the season. I chalked that up to we talk about not having a lot of uh, playing time early on. So, again, I thought Spencer did a pretty good job. I actually was pretty encouraged by the progress he made and the mental fortitude to come back and make some really darn good throws. And – I honestly can't remember a lot of bad throws in the last three quarters of the game. I don't know about you. There wasn't a lot that I was like, man, that was a terrible throw. I do want to get to the, the last three plays of this, the first half, but other than the, those three plays, were there any bad throws you noticed from Spencer in the last little bit of the game? Um, I did notice just because I know the playbook and I'd be like, <laughs> I, I was like, okay, that's not your read on that particular one. He's, you know, there were certain plays that he made. Don't get me wrong where he, give us an opportunity and you can throw it there, but the read suggests that the ball should go elsewhere. Um, so that's, but I mean, that's something that they'll watch in film and they'll be like, you know, this guy is probably where you're looking to get the ball. Right. And it's like, yeah. So, I mean, that's just normal stuff. Uh, nothing too crazy. I mean, just being able to progress through your reads and make the right read. And that's not on a lot. That's only on a couple. Yep. Um, I'm thinking of one uh, off the top of my head, but outside of that, I thought, like I said, after the first quarter, I thought he really settled down and, you know, showed us what he's capable of. Yeah, um, so one I'm actually thinking about, and you, I don't know if this is the same one, but the two-point conversion I thought was really interesting because mm -hmm. Amir Smith-Marset lined one up. one of them as well. Okay, there was no one within five, six yards of him. And I was like, all right, maybe he's expecting someone to drop back real quick and, you know, pick it off, whatever. Maybe the linebacker who was kind of creeping in could jump back. I was like, he, he looks pretty open to me, though. And the play develops, and Amir Smith-Marset, there is just no one on him mm -hmm. the entire play. And he doesn't look at him a single second. Now, all is good because we got the two-point conversion, but you should have – I feel like – and, again, I haven't played quarterback in college. I know that's why I have you here, right? When you're looking at that, is the read Amir Smith-Marset at that point? So, he's going to read uh, – now, I don't know what scheme yeah. they had on either side. I mean, I know what they ran with Amir. Um, I didn't really see the full bottom of the screen, so I couldn't tell what the full, like, play was. Um, but, essentially, he's going to look at the defense and be like, all right, they got three over two. 
and we got three on three. So I'm probably going to play the three on three. Now there's more that goes into it versus what kind of coverage and all that kind of stuff, zone man, all that stuff. Um, now he was playing off a of mirror. I think he was like halfway into the end zone. So he's probably seven yards off when we need two. Um, so that part's a little bit different, especially when you know the, the guy on the inside isn't as wide and knowing the play and knowing the play that's going to develop. The only thing that Spencer had to think about is whether or not the corner on Brandon or uh, was it Brandon that was on the outside? I think, I I think so. Remember. Yeah. I think it was Brandon. Uh, if the corner is going to crash that, because if the corner crashes that, then, I mean, that's probably two points the other way. Yep. If he catches that uh, with a head of steam. So that's probably the one thing. It looked like a cover two at the two yard line, which I don't think is very um, effective as shown on tape because the guy ran. So he wasn't man. Um, so I think pre-snap, he determined he was going to play left based on the numbers, based on where he saw it. Um, and then that's kind of what happened. It, it's, it's one of those things where if it's so with plays, you can have a full field play. Like you can have a full field concept to where, X is one, Z is two, F is three, Y is four, whatever it is, depending upon the play. But you can also have one play where you've got two separate schemes on either side. So your right side is one scheme and your left side is another scheme or concept. I'll call it a concept. So left side concept works good against left side of the field. Right side concept, I don't like it as much against this side of the field. So I'm going to play my left concept. So the guys on the right aren't even in the play because he's playing the left side. And so that happens quite frequently, you know, depending upon the numbers and who you've got running that you don't have a full field concept where, you know, they'll be like, oh, well, he's not even looking backside. He's not part of the concept. If the quarterback didn't like it off the, you know, right now, then he's probably not coming back to him because that's not his read. Now his read is on the right. So that's, I'm assuming he saw what he liked on the left side with the running back, thankfully. Uh, running yeah, back I mean, it worked. Happen. <laughs> right, which is, this is the, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, and that's probably why, you know, that's why he wouldn't look right because he thinks the scheme on the left is what he's going to, is what he's going to play. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it was just, again we got the two points that's all that matters but when the running when we caught the ball the linebacker was right on him he had to make a play to get in the end zone I was like man this would have worked a lot better if you just got in a mirror but easy playing armchair quarterback yeah yeah (laughs) um another armchair quarterback thing this the last piece of the first half Iowa drives down the field they had that big big play by Sean Byer I believe caught the the play to set up at the four yard line they don't they call a timeout there now we have three we're basically forced to do three passing plays unless you are gonna hope to god you get that run play in and you (laughs) score the touchdown on that play they go three passing plays want to talk about that sequence um i want to talk a little bit about the timeout and whether or not that made sense i i'm not too worried about the clock management but let's maybe start there then the the timeout did it make sense to call a timeout there can call a football just run down the field and spike it you give yourself two plays to at least, and then you have also a timeout to run with if you want to run the ball. At least, don't put yourself in a "I have to pass the ball" situation. What are your thoughts on that? All right, all one more pause before we finish off the conversation with Matt. We got a lot of content to continue to cover. I think Matt and I ended up talking for about forty-five to fifty minutes, so a fantastic breakdown all around. But I do have a message for you because if you're anything like me, you want to find something that's delicious and healthy for you. And that's where Built Bar comes in. It's the best tasting protein bar on the market today. It comes in 18 fantastic flavors and they're all the bars are covered in 100% chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew. They have nut and non-nut flavors as well. So if you have a nut allergy, you can still have yourself a Built Bar. Believe me when I tell you, Built Bars are my go-to snack. I have one every single day. My favorite flavor right now is pumpkin chocolate chip. But one of my other flavors that I do enjoy is cookies and cream. Let me read off the 
nutrients to you because I think it's really important to understand just how fantastic these are for you from a health perspective. 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. It's a perfect snack after a workout. If you need a little bit of energy before a workout, grab yourself a Bilt Bar. You need a post-day pick-me-up, grab yourself a Bilt Bar. I honestly eat it for breakfast every single morning. It is my go-to because I need something that is delicious and also healthy for you. And believe me, Built Bar is the best in both departments. And right now, we actually have a fantastic promo. If you go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, y'all, before we get into our conversation with Matt and you know finish off our discussion about Iowa versus Illinois, I want to remind you that the wait is almost over for the NBA. The 2020-2021 NBA season is almost here, and the Locked On NBA podcast will get you ready with a special week of shows beginning December 14th. Get previews of every single team, division by division, from all 30 of our Locked On local experts, including us. Plus, waiver wire additions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball, rookies to watch from Chad Ford, and predictions on each division from rejecting the screen. Subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get podcasts. And believe me, you might want to because we have a couple Iowa Hawkeyes in the NBA. We also have a couple Iowa Hawkeyes on this current Iowa team that might be in the NBA in the future. So always great to get a feel for what is going on in the NBA before those players get there. Let's get back into the conversation with Matt as we wrap up our review of the Iowa win over Illinois. I anticipated a clock because, uh, I mean, for the reasons you just listed, um, not only that, but you can come out on a funky look, see if they give you the look you want. And if they do, you let it ride. And if they don't, because you were calling a funky play, like let's say we call it the Philly special and like <laughs> you come out and it's not the look. It's like, all right, call timeout. And now we'll run regular plays um, or plays that we think will work, you know, in this area. So um, I, again, I anticipated a clock, but I think uh, I don't think a timeout's bad there. Um, but I do understand, you know, your thought of now you have to throw the ball, which again, I'm a receiver. I want to throw the ball anyway, but <laughs> uh, which I'm sure we'll get to here in a second. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I anticipated a clock versus a timeout in that situation. Makes sense. And then the, the passing plays, you've, you convinced me that fades are all right. I, I still struggle with them sometimes, but you convinced me that they're all right. And that appeared to be what we were trying to do on the first two plays. Um, the first one to Amir was interesting for a couple reasons. A, he gets to play. He just drops back and chucks it. I mean, it, it, there was no one that can make a play on that. Now, Illinois had pretty good coverage on Amir. So there's a chance that maybe he just saw that the coverage is too tight and he's just going to get the ball away so they can live to see another day. Was that what you noticed? Or was he actually trying to make a play to Amir and just overthrew it? Because I, I couldn't tell. I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt there. So there could be a few things that are happening there. Um, I think it was a concept. So I don't think it was meant to be a, a fade. Uh, or meant to be like that's where the ball goes uh, just based on the snap and I think he had somebody underneath Um, so I don't think that was the design play of like okay we're gonna throw it up to Amir here but Spencer liked the matchup so he took it the when you're going to the field that is a very long throw if you're gonna put it on a rope and go back shoulder I mean you're talking I mean you're taking let's say you take off maybe 18 yards from the hash to the sideline because you're on the left hash and now you've got left hash over, you're probably 36, 37 yards, plus you're downfield a little bit. That's like a 45 yard throw that you're trying to rope on the backside against a press man. I mean, that's tough. So, um, and with a mere speed, you would think if you give him an opportunity to go get it in the back pylon, 
I mean, he could have just missed the back pile line. He could have just been throwing it away. Unfortunately, as well as I know the game, I don't know Spencer's absolute thought process. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm assuming he was going to try and let Amir win over the top and give him a shot in the back of the end zone and just missed on that. Definitely. And um, one other thing I noticed about that play, we don't have to get into it, but Amir's reaction after that play was a little bit heated. He was pretty pissed. I mean, you could see the the emotion on his face. Um, any thoughts on that, or do you want to move on to the Brandon Smith uh, fade pass? He is a um, very emotional player for sure. Um, and I think that there are certain ways that you can help your team and certain ways that don't advocate as much as good of a message to your team. Um, but either way, I mean, he was able to bounce back and make plays later, which is good. Yeah. Um, but of course, I mean, we all make, we all make bad plays. I've had my fair share of drops and, you know, I called it on me and that's me. Um, but it, it is what it is. Definitely. And then the Brandon Smith fade, uh, that just looked like a, I, I mean, you got to give Brandon Smith a chance to get that ball. And the only one that had a chance to get that ball was Illinois. And that was a little bit easier of a throw. You know, I didn't, didn't even calculate the math of that throw to Amir Smith or set would have been about 45 yards. Makes it seem a little bit, makes it show a little bit more of a difficulty. A little bit further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but the Brandon Smith fade is a little bit closer and then it's Brandon Smith. I mean, you, you got to get the ball up and he's going to high point that you got to give him a chance, but there was not even a chance for him to catch that ball. Thankfully, Illinois didn't catch that ball either. That could have been a huge swing of things as well. Um, any thoughts on that? So I kind of, this is kind of the reverse now, because like we said, now you're into the short part of the field, um, which is normally where you see the goal line fade, just because it's a lot easier of a throw for the quarterback, not only in terms of the back shoulder, but a little bit easier dropping in the bucket over the top, a little bit easier for placement, because again, you don't have to put it on the line all the way on the other side of the field. Um, So I was, uh, just because he and Brandon have had some really good back shoulder throws uh, up until now, I was surprised that he elected not to go there. But again, he, you know, he read the coverage and threw it where he felt was best. Um, you know, I was just interested. I was uh, surprised that he didn't try to go back shoulder and up with Brandon. Because with anybody, if you go up, I think Brandon's going to have a solid opportunity to make that catch. Absolutely. Um, I don't really, we don't really need to talk about the third play. I felt like it was a solid design. We just couldn't get the ball into to buyer there. Um, the field goal worked. I love you, Smith, calling three timeouts. The first one I understood you know, they probably, it looked like Iowa was not trying to maybe set up a, a fake or at least portray a potential fake, see what Illinois was doing. The second one, I can almost agree, but the third one just seemed a little bit ridiculous. Uh, is there any, I mean, is there any strategic value in doing that besides kind of being a dick? I thought it was very funny. Uh, so <laughs> one, I know from my time at Big Ten Media Days, KF and, and Coach Smith, uh, they talk a lot, like they're always talking and BSing and doing whatever. So, I mean, I would assume that they're friends or I'd assume that they're cool just based on their camaraderie, at least uh, from what it sees at Big Ten Media Days. And from KF's comment about uh, taking the trophy and leaving the timeouts, I'm thinking that came back with loving. He's like, all right, I'll leave my timeouts here. I'll do that to you guys too. So that's kind of how I saw it. I didn't see any harm in it. I don't think you're going to ice Keith. So yeah. I wasn't too worried about it. I just thought it was funny from a, from a person-to-person uh, perspective. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause I feel like they, I mean, going into the game, you could tell Kirk had a lot of respect for lovey. Lovey has a lot of respect for Kirk. I mean, honestly, any coach in the big 10 who doesn't have respect for Kirk uh, doesn't have respect for, for legacy and then big 10 football in general, which doesn't need to get into now. Lovey is another quite, but like you can tell the coaches that Kirk uh, maybe doesn't like or doesn't care for and the, the coaches he does. And you could tell he spoke glowingly about lovey. So I thought that was just really interesting, but if it was all in good fun, honestly, that makes it even more hilarious. Like if they're, you know, buddies and uh, you know, 
BSing each other. And that was like, ha ha ha, I'm going to call three timeouts. Like that's actually <laughs> right. hilarious. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I took it is he's just kind of like, oh, I'm going to poke some fun at your no timeout comment that you made against Minnesota and I'll get you back here. That's hilarious. All right. Well, that's, I enjoy that. Um, <laughs> let's get on to some punt stuff. So Charlie Jones got annihilated on a early hit. Um, maybe he should have fair caught the ball. Uh, do you think there are a few times Charlie, I, I love his aggressiveness. I don't want to, I don't want to say that's not a good thing and I will take the good with the bad, but I feel like he might be getting a little aggressive on the not calling fair catch. I mean, great. Thankfully the guy, I mean, not thankfully the guy hit him early. He would have caught the head, the guy not hit him early, but the guy just rocked his world on that. Um, any thoughts on that? I mean, would you call for, would you have fair caught that? So um Number one, yes. But number two, um, <laughs> I've had two, I think it was against Iowa State and then also against Indiana my sophomore year. I called for a fair catch and got smacked anyway. So, I mean, I've had that happen too, where you think you're going to be protected and they're like, ah, but at least you get a free 15 yards. So it's worth it. Um, but yeah, I, I love his aggressiveness. I do think there are times where, I mean, you got to take care of yourself a little bit uh, in terms of making sure that you're available for the next time you go out there for punt return. Um, but again, uh, on the side of the Illinois, I don't think that was a dirty hit. I think he was playing what yep. he felt was right. You know, I mean, Charlie's in position where he's about to receive the ball. I think maybe a little bit, you know, slow it down just a little bit. That way you're, you're, you're ensuring he catches the ball if you're on Illinois side. Um, but yeah, I mean, Charlie has also shown us what he's capable of in terms of making a guy miss and going for 15 and he did it later. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of stuff. I mean, he, he's definitely special back there. Uh, just a matter of watching out for himself every now and then. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to tweet this, but I thought that was an appropriate balls of steel, man. I mean, that guy, has, <laughs> I mean, to just sit there like, I could get hit, but I'm going to need to catch this and make a move as soon as I touch the ball it is pretty impressive. I was actually going to ask you, have you ever been clocked like that? Um, I've been hit before. I mean, like playing, you know, flag football or tackle football or not flag football and someone gets a little bit aggressive and hits you when you're not expecting it. It kind of takes you by surprise. What were your, I mean, when you got hit by like in the Iowa State game, what was your initial thought? I was like, screw these guys. What are they doing? <laughs> I definitely called for a fair catch. But then I got up and realized it was 15 and got excited. But I think that that right there, like uh, your uh, willingness to understand that from Charlie's point of view, that's how quarterbacks feel when they get blindsided all of the time. So that's why I got such respect for quarterbacks that stand in the pocket and are willing because they see it. Like if, if Spencer's going to release a ball and he's got somebody in his face, he knows that as soon as he lets that ball go, regardless, I mean, now, you know, nowadays it's not as bad as they used to be in terms of the, uh, the hits that quarterbacks would take immediately throwing the ball. But there are some where you're just staring down the barrel and you got to get rid of it. And so I think that kind of goes along with the, the, the respect that I think that quarterbacks need for the ability they get smacked. I know the CJ guy hit quite a bit and, I don't know if it was 15 or 16, but he would it, it not like he would get hit a lot. But in the fact that when he knew he was going to get hit, he was still going to deliver the ball the way he needed to. CJ was one of the toughest quarterbacks I've ever seen play quarterback at Iowa. I mean, absolutely. I, I think we, with, this, with Sam, sometimes he holds on to the ball. A bit, but I mean, he takes some licks, man. He has uh, more so than any. I mean, he just stands back there and just gets destroyed. But he will follow through and throw that ball knowing he's I mean, we're like I watch a lot of Broncos games. And I love Drew Locke. I think he could be good, but oftentimes he's falling backwards. He's not, he's not willing to step into the ball, but I've seen TJ Beathard do that and just get destroyed. So it definitely is something to, to respect. Um, oh, absolutely. And especially as a player. I mean, I want to see my quarterback get rocked. And I don't want to see my quarterback get rocked. I want to see my quarterback being able to throw <laughs> the ball, still get rocked and knowing that like, 
he's he's still going to be able to deliver in those types of situations. Definitely. So um, this has nothing to do with Iowa, but I know you're busy this weekend, but did you get a chance to see the BYU Coastal Carolina uh, little scuffle that happened? Uh, I didn't. I did see that they stopped him at the one and whatever, but I didn't see the uh, the scuffle. Okay, so I want to I want to get your thoughts on how you would have reacted if you were the uh, quarterback's you know teammate. So Zach Wilson throws the ball. It's a hail mary. Gets picked off. Um, then immediately the Coastal Carolina guy comes up and starts just destroying him. Like walks up in front of him and just takes him to the ground. The defensive lineman gets on top of him. Zach Wilson gets up. The defensive lineman grabs him again and chucks him to the ground again. And it caused an on-field scuffle between BYU and Coastal Carolina, two um, you know mid-major teams trying to make a name for themselves. Right? Um, mm-hmm. How would you have reacted? I mean, I feel like uh, I feel like a couple guys would have gotten pretty pissed. Oh yeah, don't touch our quarterback like yeah. that. I mean, we had scuffles and we had scuffles and uh, you know at practice, and the whole offensive squad is going to go over there and make sure that like, hey, you're not doing that again. Um, not at our quarterbacks, but I mean, we have, we have, you know, little things you go up against the same guys every day for a month. You're going to, you're going to learn to love him and hate him on the other side. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, anytime happens, something happens to your quarterback, that's the leader of your team, really something happens to your, to your teammates. Um, I mean, if some guy deserves it, then it's like, all right, yeah, you deserve that one. But in terms of, you know, being able to back your guy up, if you got two guys head hunting you, like we, we need to stick up for you. Yeah. All right. So this again, not, not to do anything with the game, but, um, from your playing days, who would be the one guy you'd want to be backing you up? I'm just curious. Oh, Brandon Sheriff. That's a good Brandon uh, Sheriff. Right. It's, not, yeah. it's not even a not even a joke. Uh, he's got a he's got a clean hook. So <laughs> if that thing connects, it's over. All right. What about this this year's team? If you had to pick one guy on Iowa's team today, who would you want to, to be on your side? Hmm. I know who I would say. Uh, well, go ahead. I, I, I want to hear it from you first. I want to hear what you say. I already got my thing, but I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, help you from this year's team. I mean, I feel like Linderbaum isn't taking anybody, isn't like taking anything from anybody. Not only that, but he'll get you to the ground and then take care of you there from wrestling days. So I'm probably taking Linderbaum. That was going to be my choice too. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> but I also, I think an underrated person might actually be Brandon Smith maybe. Oh, I was thinking that too. I mean, yeah. he's, he'll go in there and do what he needs to do. He I mean, no we problem. see the way he blocks. Yeah. We see yeah. the way he blocks people on the outside. He's not afraid to go in there and, and take care of his guys. Absolutely. Uh, so sorry, I just got a little, tr- I just had to know. Um, another guy who I thought did a really great job had one time where he got just destroyed by a lead block. Dayton Belton um, has been an underrated guy and been a, been a guy who's been a- allowed Phil Parker to, to be pretty creative on defense, whether it's blitzing, whether it's playing zone coverage, man coverage. I thought he did a pretty good job again, as he has done the entire season. One play I thought was really special was he was in zone coverage. He was in the slot. He dropped back with his wide receiver and then turned his eyes and sprinted towards the guy on the outside nearly came up with the interception um is there anything else you're seeing from Dane Belton that really impresses you I mean he's a he's a true sophomore and Phil Parker uh is historically to the outside tough on his defensive backs and especially playing a role that is pretty new in the Iowa defense I mean he has just done a phenomenal job at that cash position well it's been kind of interesting so they still say that we're starting at a 4-3 but really we started at a 4-2-5 Yep. And Jack Campbell didn't start. Seth Benson and uh, Nick Neiman did. And then you took Dane Belton. He's your fifth. So for those listening, four, two, five, we talked about before the four down linemen, three linebackers is a four, three, a four, two, five is four down linemen, two linebackers and five DBs. So they bring in Dane Belton for that particular situation. But I think what really makes defensive players great and uh, don't get me wrong, corner is by far, I think the most physically demanding and most physically difficult position to play on a football field, bar none. 
Um, but I think the, what makes Iowa so good, don't get me wrong, coach is great and all that stuff, <laughs> but I think that his ability to teach them how to play the game. I mean, it's, it's just understanding what your job is. If there's any, uh, phase of, uh, any phase of the game that it's, that is like, do your job, it's defense. Cause if one guy doesn't do the job, the other team can score. If on offense, if you got one guy that like slips and falls, your quarterback can run out and try and make a play or, you know, your receiver falls down, you throw it to somebody else. Like there are other opportunities there. But if you're on defense and one guy just forgets to cover his guy, I mean, there's a pretty good opportunity or a pretty good yeah. chance that the offense is going to take advantage of it. So his ability to understand that when he was in that cash position, so he's reading two to one, two goes vertical. So he knows he's not dealing with two anymore. So his eyes immediately go back to one once two goes vertical and goes past him at about eight, nine yards, um, which I mean, then if you're, uh, Illinois, then you have somebody hook around, you have somebody go vertical and then boom, pop right underneath them. And then there's the zone, but it's, I mean, that's one of the things of just playing zone in general, but with two, with two and one going vertical, he sees two go vertical. So his eyes go directly to one. He sees one get ready for the ball snaps back, almost makes a great play. Uh, but I mean, that's just understanding his role, understanding what his job is supposed to do on a given play. And that gives him opportunities to make plays like that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I just, I've been really impressed with what he's doing. Uh, I'm going to quickly backtrack and I have one last thing I wanted to bring up before kind of giving you the table there um, or the floor, I should say the first touchdown pass to, to for Illinois, I thought mm -hmm. was interesting um, in the sense that Iowa brought pressure. And honestly, I feel like Iowa had pretty good coverage on it. Illinois just ran a perfect route combination where the guy ran the seam route our underneath guy let him go and our safety just couldn't get there quick enough. Is there anything else to talk about that? I, and I, I meant to bring that up in our first conversation, just to basically say like, there were a lot of things that happened in those first six drives, three between Iowa, three between Illinois, but a lot of it, I mean, you got to like it's football. Um, was there yeah. anything else you saw that? Or was that exactly what you saw as well? I mean, it was just a perfect, it was a great throw, well-timed route right in the middle of the zone. Yeah, I mean, we were playing a cover three, so Kerner's got to come over from the middle of the field. Their seam was right in between, and I talked about it earlier. That's how you beat zone, is you get in between two people. So Riley Moss doesn't know if Kerner's going to take it. Kerner doesn't know if Moss is going to take it. He had somebody on the flat, so they're both gaining depth. But if you go right in between it, uh, that ball gets there a second later, and Kerner's got it. Uh, yep. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, that was it, it was the last possible second <laughs> that Brandon Peters could throw that ball. Um, but he was able obviously to connect and they scored, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's just one of the things about playing zone. Um, what our safeties in our corners shown that they've got good range. I mean, they can get there and, you know, one second later and we make that play. So yeah. I, I, it's nothing too crazy, but uh, it's just the right play for the right defense. Yeah. And I thought Matt Hankins on the other side did a pretty phenomenal job as well at cornerback, um, you know, manning, you know, manning up on his guys. A lot. He had a really great uh, play. I can't remember what, I can't remember what quarter it was, but he was manned up on his guy and, I mean, it could have been maybe costume, maybe a push off. I'm sure if you were, if you were on offense, you would have asked for a, a flag there, but he did get his head around and made the play on the ball. I thought that was awesome. Defensive mm -hmm. line though. The last thing I wanted to call out, I thought the defensive line did a great job of containing Illinois rushing attack. There were a couple plays they got off. That's going to happen. But overall, I mean, the Illinois backs had pretty good vision because their initial where they were supposed to be running was almost never there. They were either squeezing through the hole or using a burst of speed to just you know, blow our guys back four yards or cutting back. I thought our defensive line continued to do a great job though of stopping that run initially. What are your thoughts? The same. And I think that that forced them to try and go wide with a lot of their stuff. And uh, for as big and brute that Iowa is kind of built up the reputation, they got speed too. 
in order to run down things on the side. A lot of times, uh, now there are, don't get me wrong, there's always uh, exceptions to the rule. But for the most part, when teams try to go side to side on us, it's two yards or less. I mean, we're able to really fly down and make a play, especially with Nick Neiman covering, uh, you know, every field that's ever existed, <laughs> uh, being able to go side to side. So, I mean, that kind of stuff, being able to fly up and make those kind of plays because you've stuffed the initial run, I mean, that's that's just bonus. Yeah, I feel Parker sounded a bit crazy earlier in the season when he said that uh, the linebacker position was his deepest unit and the one he was least concerned about. And I thought he was absolutely crazy thinking that, you know, Colbert had opted out. Uh, we lost Christian Welch. Uh, you know, we had, you know, Dylan Doyle transferred, but he was right. I, I, I'm going to stop questioning Phil Parker. Um, last thing, though. That's a good choice. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know more than Phil Parker. I don't know why I even pretend <laughs> to question that. <laughs> um, anything else you wanted to call out for the game, though? I. I've kind of ran through all the things I, I noticed. Anything else that you wanted to bring up about the game, though? Um, I thought that the touchdown to Amir Smith-Marset was an incredibly effective play call. I thought that was, like, the play design, I thought all of it was just phenomenal. Um, so uh, props to What, what about his slow staff. stepping? What about his slow stepping into the end zone? The play call and the play <laughs> design was phenomenal. I would rather him just score, but um, – so he deserved the shove at the end. So I'm not, not <laughs> concerned about that. If you show about a little bit, that's just what's going to happen to you. You're gonna yeah. get, they're going to take some cheap shots on you. Um, but as for the, um, like the play design, so we talked about before, whether they're going to bump or they're going to run, right? So they ran with Amir. Brandon comes in, cracks the guy that's running with Amir. So now the corner that's manned up on Brandon has to run with Brandon inside because that's his guy. But now he has to respond to the ball on a moving Amir Smith-Marset over to the outside. And that's a tough thing, yeah. especially when Spencer hits him in the right spot. It was a pretty throw. on the move. It's beautiful. I mean, just the, the whole thing I thought was really nice. And Brandon knows that he's hitting a guy coming across at, you know, 18 miles an hour. And Brandon still goes in there, sticks his nose in there. He got put on his butt, but it didn't matter because it scored. Yeah. You know, he did his job as best as he needed to do. And they scored. So that was the one thing that I thought was – really cool was that I just I really like the play design on that yeah I'm at Brandon Smith is is one of the guys that I'm gonna miss I think the most from the senior class just because of all the things he's he does from a blocking perspective that doesn't really go it doesn't get noticed and then all the insane catches he has made over the course of four years I mean uh there's just not a guy like him He's a, Absolutely. He's, a, he's a difference maker on this team and he embodies everything that Iowa wants and I think the fact that he almost didn't get recruited to Iowa. I mean, the fact that I can't, I can't remember the whole situation, but one of our recruiting guys was down in Mississippi. Yeah. was down in Mississippi and just, did he just stop at a high school to look at another guy and saw Brandon Smith or he just heard through the grapevine about Smith. I don't know what it was, but it was something ridiculous like that. Wasn't it? Uh, yeah. When you go down to Lake Carmoran, I think is where he's from. <laughs> I mean, uh, but the fact that he was able to come here and like you said, I mean, the, the blocking on the outside, I, 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 challenge all of our fans and you know whoever's listening all of our fans meaning Iowa fans as well as those listening to this podcast to watch Brandon Smith on any particular run play because that's a guy that goes out and does what he's asked to do I talked about earlier how in the first game it was either the first or second game I can't remember I think it was against Purdue uh, Makai fumbles and Brandon like hits him on the head like all right we're good like a quick tap picked him up off the sideline we're good we're gonna get the ball back we're gonna do what we need to do uh, so that that's a that's a leader to me right there um, yeah and not blaming anybody is all right. Yeah, it happened. Let's move on. Yep. Goes out blocks when he knows he's not going to get the ball. He's still going to try and do everything he can to help the play in a pot, help the play uh, in a positive way. 
And then uh, he had, I think, I don't know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but he had quite a few different catches. Yeah, yeah, he had a really nice out-breaking route. Brandon hit, uh, Spencer hit him in a good spot. I mean, just those types of things, I think, are really going, uh, I don't know if you want to say unnoticed, but I think that he's done a phenomenal job uh, this year. Absolutely. And I didn't, I don't mean to keep asking questions. My last thing I promise you, I thought was really <laughs> impressive was how the team responded and rebounded around Spencer Petrus in that second half. I thought it was great to see him kind of, you know, hype. There's a couple of, you know, camera shots of him kind of slapping guys, uh, hitting guys in the helmet, a couple of guys went up and gave him a big hug after some big, some big pa- passes and whatnot. I thought that was really cool to see the team rebound around Spencer Petrus. I think, fully knowing kind of the, the outside opinion and all the, the pressure that's being placed on him. I thought that was really cool to see. It's just guys understanding what's at stake. It's guys knowing that like, Hey, the noise is not nice. The noise 9.9999999999 times out of 10. It's bad. It's negative. It's get rid of this guy. It's he's terrible. It's he's not athletic. He can't do this. He can't do that. And that's why they call it noise. Cause you just hear it because it doesn't really affect what you do. You just hear it if you allow yourself to hear it. Uh, KF always talks about, you know, we need to quiet the noise. We need to ignore the noise. Don't worry about it. Just go out there and do what you do. We got confidence in you. Otherwise, we wouldn't put you on the field. Yep. And our guys obviously like you if they're going to do things like, hey, try and pick you up and make sure we're on the right thing. And then the offensive staff is going to do everything they can to try and put him in positions to be successful. Um, one thing I guess I will also talk about because I thought it was another cool little play design that our offensive staff came up with. Um, so the touchdown to Sam Laporta, yeah, and the touchdown to uh, Sean Byer are the exact same play, just different people ran it. So uh, both times we had our, um, it was it was a four vertical. So everybody, it was a two by two, it was four vertical. The guy on the outside, the first time we had two receivers on the outside, two tight ends on the inside. What happens is everybody released vertical, and then the two receivers went out toward the sideline while the tight end stayed vertical. So when the receivers went out, so did the corners and the safeties have to try and figure out where they're going to fit, but now they're in a zone. So they're trying to figure out where they need to be. And Spencer puts it right on Sam Laporta on the inside, on the seam, scores. Second play, same thing. Two receivers on the, uh, it's a two by two. Receivers on the outside, tight ends on the inside. But this time the roles reverse. So first time they came out and the receivers ran to the fade. Well, this time the receivers stayed and ran the seam and the two tight ends on the inside went vertical and then went back to the outside, which is how Sean Byer caught it. So it's the exact same play because they liked the way it looked and they came back to it a different way and still got the same result. And that's why we have you on the show because I would have never noticed that. All I saw was, <laughs> wow, those are great catches. Good. Throw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like those little things trying to help Spencer out, run the same play, dress it up differently, do it with different guys. And that's why it's so important to have depth. It's so important to have guys that can do it all. They can block, they can run, they can catch, because then you can do these things. You know, you can put Sean Byer on the outside. You can put Sam Laporte on the outside and it doesn't matter. And I think Amir ran the seam and I forget who was on the left side, but either way, I mean, you've got the same play, just look different and you still got the same result as a touchdown. That's a pretty good day. I love men. Yeah. And I will win 35, 21 with the garbage time touchdown by Illinois. Matt, you're doing some awesome stuff in the community. Um, where can folks find you at and find your wife, Laura at? Uh, so Laura will be doing the pregame I guess the last pregame show it's kind of oh, crazy man, that we're already yeah. at that happened <laughs> yeah, quick. the last uh, home pregame show uh, for Wisconsin uh, she'll be there two hours before on HawkeyeSports.com slash game day live and then uh, as for myself uh, I'm a real estate agent uh, and I do really anywhere from Cedar Rapids down to Lone Tree and Solon, Iowa, uh, Solon Tiffin 
Iowa City, Coralville, uh, really anything in there. Um, and so I'm part of Urban Acres, uh, the Bales team. And so I'd love to help anybody with their home needs. I love it, man. Where is Lone Tree at? Lone Tree is like uh, 20, it's right next to Riverside. So oh. like if you go to the Riverside Casino and you stay going east about another 10 miles or so, Lone Tree's right there. Uh, I feel like I know Iowa pretty well, but then you take these random towns. like I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> well, yeah. well, Matt, I appreciate having you on. As always, the fans appreciate having you on. As always, um, we'll have a great day, and we'll hopefully be talking after a, a win next week, uh, Iowa over Wisconsin, man. Let's bring the bull home. Hell yeah. All right, y'all, and that, can, that concludes our conversation with Matt. Hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. I know he has done a fantastic job of kind of walking through everything that happens in each of these games. He was actually on a, a hunting trip this weekend and still watched the game. That's how dedicated he is to bringing you some awesome stuff and the inside perspective from a guy who played within the program. Um, always appreciate Matt's time. If you love the show, though, make sure to give us that five-star review and subscribe because we have daily episodes every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday dropping covering all of your Iowa Hawkeye content that you need and need to listen to. So please do that. Also, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hawkeye Nation, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. Have a fantastic day, and as always, folks, let's go Hawks.